You are acting like Johnny Depp. Doing from exponential potential to not being able to pay for the rental or even a bill from the dent on the house. That for your mental. I've been through hard times too. This situation demands I bring the hard rhymes through. That's why I'm all times too. Half past despicable. Last man to bring it through. Fast rap to critical stack. Analytical slap slap. I'm hitting you smack smack. I'm sticking you smack lip to stack tip. All with the lyrical technique. Um, it just occurred to me that if one calls oneself a podcaster, then perhaps one should put out an episode more than once every 60 days. So here's one. For party crashes, liquor spilling mayhem. Punk cops to play them. Super bitches to slay them. Saw serious biz, no time remains for the cattle defecation. You spitting right in this brain. What the f***? The idea of having a Zoroastrian funeral always appealed to me. They would stick a corpse up on a platform called, I think it was a a doka, which means platform of silence. And you would rejoin the world, beakful by beakful, or, you know, whatever birds were around and hungry. So a few weeks ago, having ingested what I hoped was a fatal mix of Xanax, Ambien, Percocet, and Moonshine, I laid on the shambolic doka that I rigged up on my patio, and I watched the pearl-gray veins and that day's low cloud cover start to throb. And my dick neighbor starts in with the leaf blower. I don't know why this asshole can't simply buy a rake. And I tell him, and I told him so. And before long, there was, at least according to the police report that I read, an ugly shouting match between backyards me slurring imprecations from atop a piece of particle board already half-rotted through with moisture. I imagined myself as safe up there on some sort of inviolable plane, but damn if he didn't come over to my yard, climb up my platform, and whoop the living shit out of me. And even in the state I was in, I knew that this was no dignified way to begin my conversation with the Eternal. As fate would have it, the beating ended because I threw up on him, losing many of the ingredients I needed to prep my carcass to be high-potency bird food. On the upside, we haven't spoken in three weeks, so it's not a total loss. Welcome to Breakup Gaming Society, America's least responsible board game podcast, where we also cover cocktails and hip-hop tracks. Let's drink and play, shall we? Here's what's coming up in the next 30 minutes or so. One drink of the week. I found a discount artisanal mixer and poured it into another artisanal thing and got drunk as hell. Mezcal was involved. Game of the week. I got my copy of an acid western rules light TTRPG book called Frontier Scum. I have not played it yet, but I'm in love. We'll talk about this and a few other creations from the Mork Borg indie game genre that are dominating my radar. Track of the week. I am going to discuss at length a track from Sean Price, and after a few years of sampling his discography, the little techniques I hear in him that I think makes him possibly the greatest microphone practitioner ever to have lived. Be right back in a sec with Drink of the Week. small piece of travel advice for rovers who may be plying the roads of southern Colorado and northern New Mexico and find that they have an afternoon to burn in Trinidad, Colorado. Don't skip a stroll through the A.R. Mitchell Museum of Western Art. 
on any given weekday. I still can't predict when my favorite things will be open in this city, which gives things an extra layer of furtive desert charm. You're likely to have the place all to yourself. An expanse of vintage hardwood from the days when the building was the region's biggest department store, all yours for whatever donation you feel like throwing in the jar. It is at their gift shop, which I found a 30% off bottle of, ah, jeez, it was a artisanal cocktail maker. It was clove and orange. Um, Christ, this is the kind of thing I should have had in my notes. They're still in business, but I don't think they have this line anymore. And, um, yeah, and I decide that this is the next serendipitous turn in my occasional quest to not slam hard liquor straight from the bottle, as I have often done on this show. So tonight I tried to, I paired it with, look at this, I'm looking at another placeholder, it just says Mezcal. I'll tell you what it was. It was the brand that Cheech Marine, formerly of uh, Cheech and Chong, endorsed. There's a picture of him on the collar art and everything. And uh, anyway, it was an easy choice because it was the only Mezcal brand on the shelf at the liquor store that I went to. It, it bears all the signals that tells me, a white person with disposable income who flatters himself by imagining that buying this kind of thing makes me interesting, that I made a good choice. Florid folk art, a little brochure attached to the neck of the bottle telling me that this is Cheech's favorite mez- Mezcal ever, for which I'm sure he pocketed a nice couple pennies. I bet you the art came from his collection. My buddy told me he has one, like the like the biggest private Chicano art collection in the country. I believe it. And uh, of course, it, the the label has well chosen topography. And the, you know, there's a bunch of recipes where I'm supposed to go harvest butterfly jism or something, and then rim it with artisanal salts. And you know, but I just wanted to see how that mixer did with you know. Uh, with with the the Cheech Marine mezcal, which I did, and it recommended two parts of mezcal to one ounce of the fancy orange clove shit. So that's what I did. I put it in a in a shaker with ice at two to one, shook it, strained it, and drank it. Here's what happened. You know, at first the liquor kind of hid from me and all the cloves and oranges, but after it calibrated on my, on my tongue, the middle stages started giving me this buttery taste with a wisp of smoke trailing out the door. Kind of nice. I also ended up riffing while I was drinking several of these with Sean Drake, who is a the co-creator along with his wife, Navi. Um, they're called A Couple of Drakes. You can find their fine work at a acoupleofdrakes.itch.io. They're prodigious. And uh, they made a game called Dead Belt. Go back and listen to episode 58 if you want to Wonderful solo RPG distraction, uh, distraction slash source of twinkling despair and, and, and tension for the cold months in which we are still in the grip. You know, anyway, long story short, I offered to let him name the drink in honor of the usually doomed characters that inhabit the game. And so it is done. The name is the Red Line Cowboy. I, th- I think I, I wrote a little flavor copy for Dead Belt and the Redline Cowboy on the blog. I think I was a, that, that was a very productive drunk that night. And anyway, upon freshening, um, the, I, I learned that there was more smoke on the front end. Then my tongue dulled a bit, and my brain started to limber and slide. And then 
And then I'm staring dumbfounded at my speaker while my brain does backstrokes on oceans of Sean Price's microphone tricks and rhymes, which we're going to talk about in track of the week, which is actually going to come after game of the week, which is next. Uh, does, Does that make sense? Leftist media critic Michael Parenti once said, I'm paraphrasing from memory here, that propagandistic media doesn't necessarily have to tell you what to think, but it's enormously successful in telling you what to think about. I keep thinking about this in terms of Dungeons & Dragons and Wizards of the Coast, the company that owns the game now which seems to be the default frame of reference for 90% of people who know what a tabletop role-playing game is. I celebrate it in one sense, sitting around with your friends, chucking dice, and seeing what happens to your party in taverns, on ships, and uh, on windy steps is certainly better than, say, you and your friends torturing animals or starting a hedge fund. But boy, is it tiresome to hear or have conversations with people for whom Gary Gygax's highly commercialized creation seems to be both the left and right jams of the TTRPG Overton window. People play it because it's the coolest system, or, like Windows under the heydays of Bill Gates, because it's simply become unavoidable by virtue of its sheer mass. Even contrarians seem bound to it. WOTC is... Evil, slash, making bad decisions, slash, greedy, slash, cruel to small creators. And all of a sudden, love it or hate it, D&D is what everybody is talking about, as if nothing else is possible. As if they own not only the D&D intellectual property, but your own imagination. Your sense of what's possible your default definition of not only what play is, but how it's possible. As is often said to people in their mid-thirties who still like asking people whether they're a Hufflepuff or a Mizzenflug, read another book. Case in point, Frontier Scum by Carl Druid, published by Games Omnivorous. I had a strong blink response to this game. What is it I wanted? This is how I learned about the Mork-Borg role-playing system. As its creators describe it, quote, Mork-Borg is a pitch-black apocalyptic fantasy RPG about lost souls and fools seeking redemption, forgiveness, or the last remaining riches in a bleak and dying world, end quote. I'm down with that. You can hit Morkborg.com to learn more about the system and how you can play it or with it. I'm attracted to this stuff because I befriended people on Twitter who were passionately playing and making stacks of indie TTRPGs. And I find the Morkborg filthy court jester in the world of RPGs very appealing. You're probably not a hero. Life is short and brutal and frequently hilarious. And you don't need 7,000 pages of marked up hardbound books to evoke the flavor or make the story move mechanically. Frontier Scum is a Morkborg based based uh, it's a Morkborg based game with an old west twist. You can play as one of 12 character classes, anything from 
a quack doctor or a disgraced former law enforcement professional or a grease-smudged factory worker or a trapper driven half-insane by their adventures on the wastes. Let's talk for a sec about how they packaged this experience. The book arrives in a heavy-gauge cardboard cover with a string-bound spine covered with period icons and heavy serif western type. Then inside, there's a beautifully executed reproduction of a late 19th century newspaper. The fake ads are hysterical and educate you about the vibe. The writing is crisp, with articles giving you info about the major locales and factions of this terrible place. You're then guided into simple character creation, stuff you can do for money, how to shoot people, and get shot or stabbed in return. Story prompts for what happens when you wake up after a blackout drunk, what kind of things your stolen mount likes or doesn't like, and a host of other flavorful touches attached to what looks like a fairly lean action, travel, and health recovery and loss system. They also put in, uh, in the middle, a, a scenario where your crew has to make their way car to car through a moving train filled with increasingly bizarre horrors. But I'm not ready for that yet. But I'll tell you this. For the first time since 1981, I now own a set of pencils and a set of RPG dice. One of my goals for winter is to learn to game marshal this thing and see if I can lure a couple of locals over. In a case in point, talking about our original complaint. And as a matter of fact, uh, two of my acquaintances in town were complaining about how badly their last D&D campaign collapsed. My buddy Marcos was super excited for the session, but apparently the DM checked out and some players weren't paying attention and the others went murder hobo. It's funny that I know what all these complaints mean despite not having been in a D&D session since 1981. Typical shit. So I'm going to invite these lads too, instead of bitching about D&D, see what kind of nutty cowboy adventures we can have with frontier scum. Giddy up. One of the most rewarding things about watching any craft or genre for years is learning to recognize the subtler points of the form. What makes a legendary rapper? I mean, you can't argue with the big criteria. They always talk about bars, production, and, of course, you know, uh, their cultural footprint or influence. But today I want to talk about a rhymer who not only had all of these, but also a one-of-a-kind mic persona, killer technical ability, total authenticity, and a toolbox of veteran techniques that he can employ or discard in a millisecond. We speak today of the late, great Mr. Sean Price, a.k.a. Poo! a.k.a. Big Ruck, formerly of Helta Skelta, which rolled with the powerhouse boot camp click in the 90s, then an unlikely rebirth in the 2000s as a combination rhyme gladiator, and working man's rapper, and a street corner ruffian. One of the other things that makes Sean Price better every year I hear him, beneath it all, he has this ability for sly self-deprecation, making a gun check, then a boast, then an admission that he's just a jerk who was working construction jobs before his career reignited, all in one seamless package of pure emceeing. So I've picked out a couple selections from the track 60 Bar Dash, which 
which is set up structurally like a gag of sorts. And there's a starting pistol and a producer chiding him in between verses for being slow and out of shape. This next part illustrates a lot of what made Price... Price. For one, he kicks off the verse with one of his best tricks, or at least a favorite of mine, which is repeating a line almost word for word, but switching it up a bit so it turns into a punchline instead of a carbon copy. One of my favorite examples is from... I don't think it's from an album. He did a spar session with Joe Budden. Uh, where he says... I'm red, black, and green with the fist, but I'm red when the black and green get mixed with the spliff. And you can hear just dudes in the studio just going, ow! That's what he does at the beginning of this verse. Then he goes right into what I call the capital T-R, the run. It's the centerpiece of the, the song's rhyming, where he does multiple lines where the scheme is so tight that every syllable rhymes with every syllable previ- previous and after, and he makes it sound so easy and smooth. Time. Time. 53.7 seconds. It's kind of fucked up, dude. I was I, right, but yo, let's just try it again. Yeah, Ready? Up, Go. My mama ain't raised no fool because my mama ain't raised me fool. Sean Price, the name. Your beat's hot, but your writing is lame. Release shots on the side of your frame. The trees cop, now I'm high as a plane. With these cops, see the nine in the range. Your seats watch while you're hiding the same. Yo, bust a Yui. Another mark of a great rapper is, I think, knowing when to pause, when to chill, when to throw a little stall in there. Or You know how, like, a, a veteran will set up a syllabically dense line with a laid-back setup? And the whole time, they stay studiously on beat and on scheme. Price was the king of this. The more you listen to his body of work, the more you notice the small pauses and punctuations he'll use to seamlessly switch up or emphasize a topic or scheme. Issuing a counterpoint to his own bar with a quizzical and soft word, or just inserting a commanding listen, or fuck it, into the middle of a run, or of course, his signature exclamation, constantly his own flawless orator and chorus switching points of view without one bolt out of place. I love the opening of this verse for that reason. For one, the first line perfectly encapsulates his his, uh, his ethos and persona. I got one hand back in the street. I got another hand back in the booth. Telling you he's a creature of the stoop and the studio, and have no doubt, he can kick your ass in either location. I've seen, like, videos of him. Some some videos, they're just shot. Looks like it was shot with a hand cam on a rooftop, and they just he just took his shirt off and started rhyming. There's a little middle-aged pudge on there, but it's a powerful frame, and I have no doubt that that's a guy who is quite ready to smack the shit out of you. I wouldn't talk shit to him. Then, then there's this payoff line, which sounds like a fragment from a diary that he flippantly inserts as a punchline whose choice rhyming pings and pattern of emphasis works like a dream. I got one hand back in the street, I got the other hand back in the booth. I'm in the crib with the VCR on, watching I'm a star, thinking about a motherfucking crack of the shoot. Booty tag niggas always got a lot to say. Ain't talking about shit though, side I take. Classical soul, I got the nasty flow. Sean Price, big gun by the grass. 
I'm in the crib with the VCR on, watching Amistad thinking about a motherfucking cracker to shoot. Listening to him reminds me of watching these veteran boxers. They don't throw nearly as many punches around, but when they do, that shit is hitting your liver or your bread box flush. Anyway, the song was 60 Bar Dash by the late, great Mr. Sean Price. He fought long and well. Thank you for listening with me, and I I hope this uh, encourages you to uh, go back and listen to more work from Brownsville's most talented son. At least, I think so. That's the end of Track of the Week. We're going to come back in a minute with a, a little farewell, and that's the end of the episode. So um, just because, uh, honestly, I'm a little bit faded and uh, no one can tell me no, and I'm both the producer and the talent, here is the Starkville, Colorado Wildlife Report. I think it was two weeks ago. I was drunk and high, and uh, I was doing one of the the best benefits of having your own semi-rural property is at night. There's no HOA. There's no neighbors around that are looking out their windows. You can pee wherever you want. Middle of the driveway? Let it fly. Pissing in your own garage? It's fine. Off the patio? Of course. And I was doing such a thing. And and, and I was pretty faded, so it was weird. Like, what weird vestigial sensor, sensory apparatus still exists in Homo sapiens? So I'm sitting there pissing. I just kept this thought. I said, I'm being watched. And my eye goes to the back fence, and I know there was a head peeking over that fence looking at me. Now, I've seen foxes out here. I've seen bears out here. But this was neither. Because the foxes I see are small, gray, darting things. And there's no way they would get that close to the noise I was making. And it's the dead of winter, so the black bear that's been knocking over my trash all year is probably in hibernation. And I'm, and all I saw was a shape, and he was looking at me. And I was looking at him. And I didn't realize it, but I think I was being sized up by a mountain cat. Now, it could have been just one of the neighborhood ferals, but they were pretty high up on that fence. And I think after a while, I just lost my, my temper. Because, you know, when I'm in my cups on my property, I don't like being stared at. I'm out here because I can do what I want and not be surveilled. And I'm like, what the fuck are you looking at? And I just kind of screamed at it for 20 seconds and it slunk away. And I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I cussed out my first mountain lion. And, uh, you know, God willing, I'll be able to cuss out many more. This is the Colonel Hector Bravado, a.k.a. The Lord Chief Raka, a.k.a. the Great Unclean One of Breakup Gaming Society, saying thank you for taking a ride with me, and may you fight long and well.